0: but here's why vision is still necessary because God has not changed God's mission for us and for you has not changed nothing has changed with God do you guys know that we may have changed right things may look differently for us but God is not surprised this is not taken by surprise Hebrews 13 right God is the same yesterday today and what and forever Right, so then vision, I would say this, vision is necessary more now than ever before. In fact, many of you had to make quick decisions while all this was going on. In in Proverbs 29 18 says, without vision, the church or any institution, a people without vision will perish. And so here's kind of my main thrust here as we begin to talk about vision. These unprecedented times, calls the church to stretch beyond our normal comfort zone and see further out in the horizon, okay? So these times of crisis calls the church to stretch out out of the comfort zone of where we are. So if you, if you like to be comfy, if you like the way, you know, you like to have a comfortable life, this is not, not going to work for you because the church is meant to stretch out, to challenge the world with the way it sees its vision, even during crisis, Okay, so let me, let me give you what these five weeks are going to look like. This, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about identity and vision. Okay, what is identity, and how does identity frame where we are going? Okay, week two, we're going to talk about our mission. What is it that we're going to be doing to get there, right? A, a nice vision is nice, but if you, if you don't have the grace to accomplish it, if we don't take the steps to do it, if we don't have the means to go after it, then it's just great vision and fo- uh, a failed execution. Okay, three, um, sorry, uh, yeah, week three, our values. What are the value systems and distinctives that make this church this church? Okay, what are the values that, that, that we hold dear to, that we're going to fight for? What are the hills that we're going to die on? What are the things that we're going to keep close hand and say, no, this is who we are. This is our values. Okay, and number, uh, number uh, week four, we're going to talk about the future of the church. What about after us? How do we keep this vision going twenty years past us, fifteen years past us? Let me give you a hint. It's not you. It's your children. And so we're going to talk about the ministry to children that we have here, that we want to have here at Garwood Church. And lastly, week five, we're going to we want to invite you into this vision, and and have you consider covenant membership here at this church. And so if you're visiting, if you guys from the Cross Fellowship that you know came later on and connected. This is an opportunity for all of us now to officially come together and say, yes, this is my home church, and here's how I'm going to jump in, fully in to the deep end of the pool, right? Oftentimes when we look at local church, you know, we kind of, I, I want to go in the shallow end because that, that's safe, right? Don't you guys know my kids are like that. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep because when it gets too deep, you know, I don't know if I could handle it. Well, we're asking you to jump to the deep end. I know that, you know, you're, you know. People are not risky. You're like, I don't want to do that. Well, well, that's where we're going. And so before, so that, I just want to lay that out why we're doing this this morning, um, because I believe that it is time for us now to come together and to look to the future. Now that we've gotten to know each other, now that I think you guys get an idea of who I am somewhat, um, I think it's time for us to move forward. And we need to do it not just with one guy, because I'm not that great, but with all of us together. So I'm excited to share this with you. But before I do that, I have a short video from a friend of mine. His name is A.B. Kulinich, And every other week, I'm going to try to have a video from some pastors that I know uh, that I've asked to talk about on vision. Just a minute or two. um, Men who have carried out vision, who are leading, uh, who have churches. The Lord has blessed them. uh, And who I believe, uh, in long term, you guys will get to know in some way or another. So this week, um, I have a a dear pastor of mine. His name is A.B. Kulinich, And he leads a church in South Jersey. Uh, that's uh, primarily focused in the urban side of Burlington County and um, they planted that church from their home. They've been meeting at their homes for a very long time and the Lord just gave them a building. I mean, a huge building in the middle of town. Completely paid off. Right by the train station, people are coming in. They're just going, this is amazing we want this to, we want this to be our church they want to have uh, they want to have uh, give access to um, underprivileged kids in the area to come to church to have uh, resources for learning the bible they have a huge bbs type thing in the summer where they basically most of the kids there can't have vacations you know how you go on vacation you nice well they can't they can't afford it so they do a two day event where kids can come and basically there're water slides uh, free food and, and they have hundreds of kids show up and it's just this is your vacation day, because I know where you can't leave. And then they present the gospel to the kids, and they ask them to come and get to know Jesus. So they're really great, wonderful couple. He just wrote a book, which is you know really cool. I saw it on Facebook, uh, really amazing. Uh, but here's A.B. on vision.
1: There are few things more exciting and more vital than when a church unites to discern from God and devote itself to his vision for its place within both the body of Christ and within its community vision is identity it is the equivalent to what a name was in the bible the name was so important in scripture that at times when a name didn't match god's plan for that person he changed their name god changed abram's name to abraham he changed jacob to israel simon to peter all to reveal their identity in his eyes and to give them his vision for their lives Their new names changed the fabric of who they were because they revealed who they were created to be. And then they lived differently. Their names, the names that God had given them, governed their behavior. They transformed their hearts and they renewed their minds. A church's vision is like those biblical names. It sets identity and it defines the role that that church will play within both the body of Christ at and how it fits into its community. Our vision keeps us from spending ourselves on good things that are not necessarily our things. And it also keeps us faithful and consistent to those things that God has prepared for us and that he has prepared us for. Vision defines us, but it also protects us and living in that vision prospers us. And so today I encourage you, dig in and find the vision that God has chosen for you as a congregation. Embrace the joy of knowing that God has joined you together and at the same time He has set you apart for His purpose in your community. And pray for the grace to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you. We will be praying for you, and we will be praying with you, that as a congregation, God will show you clearly who He is, who He's shaping you to be, and how He has planned to use you to bring glory to Jesus and redemption to your neighbors. Because ultimately, every church's vision is simply how God desires to use the redeemed to join Him in the work of redemption. Enjoy this process. Hear God's voice and let God lead. His plans are good because His plans always lead to redemption.
0: Why don't we pray? Father, we we come before You this morning um, really do, in fact, wanting to know our purpose and our vision. I thank You that we've gotten to know each other, and um, I ask You, Lord, that uh, we may really have vision for this church, that it may not be a man's vision, but it may be the Bible's vision, Lord, that leads us and takes us to where we need to go. Father, help us, Lord, understand identity and vision, and that, God, we may be a people with one voice, with one song, and with one vision. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Wasn't that wonderful? Very wonderful, right? Uh, he's also a great preacher. Um, he told me, I don't want to get too preachy, but love it. Thanks, AB. Uh Go with me to Genesis chapter 3, and you're just going to be there. Just going to stick around. Just leave it there as we begin. Now, let me begin by saying that there is an importance to vision that is connected to your identity, and it's funny because A.B. said that even on that video we didn't even speak. But identity is tied to your vision. Very few times will you see a great, great visionary with little with a, with a weak identity, right? You don't you don't see Jeff Bezos, right, or Elon Musk, and you go, "Well, those guys are weak guys." You never you don't do that right because there is something about our identity and vision that's tied together because there's an importance to identity and so there is no potential for a healthy vision without a healthy identity okay and, and what's what's really fascinating here and we're going to see this in Genesis chapter 3 is that the bible can I tell you what the bible's about and it is about Jesus it is about the cross it is about all that he's given us but can I tell you how the Bible begins? The Bible begins with a, a losing of identity. The Bible uh, really is about, a tr- it's a tragic story of lost identity, okay? Cre- in creation, for instance, Adam and Eve were created with a distinct identity, right? Um, with distinct identity. They were created in the image of God. Go- look at uh, Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Actually, let's look at verse uh, 26. It says this, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Look at verse 28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number, okay, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground, okay. Now, uh, I want you to remember here is that what type of identity God gave Adam and Eve, not only did he make them in, the, in, in their own image, that's not all he did. Okay, what else did he do? He blessed them, right? He gave them joy, delight over that which he had created. What else did he do? He said, uh, you know, you see creation, you're going to have dominion over it. You're going to have authority. So you're going to bear that image. So both Adam and Eve were created in his likeness. They had everything they needed to live out their identity. Nothing was missing in their identity. It was the fullness of identity, which is what they had. But here is where the gospel, where story, story, the, the gospel story starts, right? That Adam and Eve lost sight of their identity, and they were deceived thinking that they had to figure things out on their own, okay? In the midst of all that is good, right? You know this part of the story, right? Eve listens to a voice. The serpent of old entices her with a forbidden fruit, censoring of what God had already said. What did God say? You're made in whose image? God's image, Right? But what does he say? Look at uh, Genesis 3, verse 5. Skip to one page. So, so think about all that their identity is made up of, right? Their authority, their blessedness, their delight. They're made in the image of God. And look what the serpent says in Genesis 3, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat it, eat out of the truth, with knowledge of good and evil, right? Uh, your eyes will be open, and you will be like who? Who? God. But what did God say? You're already like God. But they begin to to think differently about what God had said. They are deceived by the serpent. And in a moment, they lose that identity which God had already given them. The blessing is lost. The identity is lost. The dominion is lost. The serpent began to define a new identity in the garden. Okay, and so um, a writer writes this uh, uh, in a commentary. I read this Eve's unbelief in God's goodness and the goodness of her own identity led her into sin and influenced her husband to do the same. The Godlike image we once reflected effortless, effortlessly became broken. So here's, here's where I want to begin, is that in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, we didn't just lose paradise. And I know that we can think of that. Oh, man, you know, we're lost. We're sinful, and we lost everything. But we also lost something else, and we lost our identity. Okay? At the garden, we lost our identity and so there is no potential for a healthy vision without a healthy identity and so all mankind has been trying to do for the last you know six thousand years it's is been trying to get back to this identity where he knows he is God's son he is God's uh, own um, son and so what else do we see go to Genesis 17 and here we have Abraham Abraham rather and I know um, and AB made a alluded to this too Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis chapter 17, you know, we know the story of Abram. uh, Abram and who would be Abraham. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Who would be called the father of the faith in in the book of Hebrews. But here you have the lost identity in creation. But here, go to Genesis 17, and you're going to, let's just read the eight verses, verses 1 through 8. And it says, when Abram, this is not Abraham, you're right, this is Abram, was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And watch this. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. Can I tell you what that is? That's vision. He's telling him what God's going to do. Okay? But watch this. Verse 3. Abraham fell down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be my father of many nations. No longer will you, watch, watch the identity change here. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be what? Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. after after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Do you guys see that? Here's vision. Here's God pointing to the future, and then he goes, before I give you that vision, there's an identity change. Now, if you're a, a Christian, you know that this is true, isn't it? Right? You read the Bible, and it tells you, do not lie, do not steal, and you go, yeah, but that's who I am. And then identity begins to take place. The Holy Spirit begins to change the way you used to be, or who you used to feel like, what you used to call yourself, into a new person. And so, one, the serpent, you know, at the very beginning in Genesis, defines our identity. Uh, sometimes the past. I don't know if you know a little bit about um, Abram, but uh, Abraham rather. But Abraham was a pagan. And you can read this. In, I believe in Joshua twenty-seven, where where before a- Abraham was just a pagan. Who walked around in Mesopotamia and just walked around aimlessly worshiping other gods. Then God chose him, and not only did he give him vision, but he gave him him a new name. All right. And so, but we see this in ourselves. We see this also in the New Testament that we have an identity issue going on today. Okay? Uh, we feel pressure to define ourselves through our jobs, financial status, successes, our kids, appearance, and what others say about us. Okay, maybe that's just me, all right? Uh, however, through Christ, in the New Testament, God's people take on a new identity. We're, just think about the things that we're called in the New Testament. What are we? A new creation, right? We're called a royal priesthood. We're called a house of God. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 says, the old has passed, the new has come. John 15.15, 15, we're no longer slaves, but what are we? We're friends of God. Romans 8.14 says that by the Spirit, we're no longer slaves, but we are sons. See, the whole Bible has this story of identity change. The whole Bible is about change and who we are so that we can see the future that God has for us. You guys with me on it so far, right? So we need, as people, an identity change, a complete identity shift. Now, if we're going to talk about us, that's great. We're going to dive deep. But we're not talking about just individual identity. It's not just about you being a son, but it's about how that relates to the corporate identity of the church. Okay, so go with me to First Peter, First um, Peter, chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2. And look at verse, uh, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. But again, I want you to see how, There is nothing that happens in the Bible without vision, but vision does not come to us without a change in identity or without knowing our personal identity. Okay, 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5 brings this together. As you come to him, this is coming to Christ, the living stone rejected by man but but chosen by God, Precious to him, and now he switches it to us. Look at verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, watch this, to be a royal, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, okay? It is not just an individual identity. It is a corporate identity that we need to be reminded of this morning. Okay. It is not just that we come in our private prayer. It is not just that I come in my private prayer room at home in my personal life that nobody knows. But uh, Peter says here, as you come to him, plural, all as the church comes before God, that we may be like him, living stones, just like he is, and built up into this spiritual house. H- here's my point, is that your spiritual identity is not isolated from the corporate reality of the local church. You do not have a separate, if you're, who's a Christian today? Let me see your hands up. All right. If you're a Christian today, okay, this is your spiritual community. If this is not your spiritual community, oh, man, come talk to me. Because there, there are some major gaps in your theology. Christianity was never meant to be an isolated truth. Christianity was always tethered to relational identity to the corporate body. The church has an identity because, you know why? Because you have an identity. The church has an identity, you know why? Because God is making the church, purifying the church into what he desires her to become. And so let me explain now. Let me give you a visual. I'm a visual guy sometimes. So let me give you a visual of what I mean of a corporate identity of the church in light of our individual identity. And I have a three-directional approach here. Um, and so, you know, if you're if you're like a you know, what do you you call it, Um, OCD guy, you're like, you want everything to be kind of perfect, but let me, let me just give you this, that I, 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 when we think about identity, think about it this way, for the church, there was an upward identity, okay, Matthew 6, you know, how do we, how does our our father prayer begin, our father who art in heaven, here's why, because our identity is tied to the fatherhood of God, okay, that he is our father, Okay, there is a relational, a relationship piece that you have with God upward that is that he is father, that he loves you, that he is for us and not against us like we sang this morning. Okay, what else is there? There is an, next, there's an inward identity, right, that, that he is our father, and what does that make us? Makes us sons. Okay, so we, are, so we have a father. We have, uh, we are sons, right? Again, Romans eight fourteen says that those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, that you need a Father who loves you, who takes care of you, that you feel loved, you feel accepted by your Father, okay? So, so here's, here's two, there's one more, okay? There is an outward relational piece here, outward identity, and it is the fact that you are brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Romans eight says this: The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs together of God, who are follow heirs with Christ. We're doing this together. Okay, so there is an upward relationship, upward identity. He is our Father. I know that He is. There is an inward identity. I am a son, and there is a horizontal, a, a outward, which means I have brothers and I have sisters. Now. What's the point of all this? Okay, here's the point. This means that our identity as a church is that we are a family, okay? That we are a family, that we have the same father, that we are sons, um, that we have brothers and sisters. And I think this is, or, I mean, when you think about, fa- just think about your family. And I'm not, you know, I know that we can differentiate, oh, well, I have my blood family, and I have my church family. And, then yeah, that that's that's true in some respects. There's a different uh, scope of of uh, extending yourself, but biblically, your identity is tied in how you relate to God's family. This is your family, and so let me, let me ask you this. If you believe you're loved by the Father, what will you do? What if we truly lived like family, okay? What if we truly live with this key ingredient that we are a family of God, and so if, if we are, uh, what would the church look like if we embraced an identity as loved children who live in a world of lost children who do not know the Father's love? Okay, let me say that again. What would the church look like if we embraced our identity as loved children, okay? But we live in a world of lost children who do not know the Father's love. Can I tell you what would we do? We would love. We would extend ourselves. We would live the way we live with our families, John thirteen thirty five says this, by, all, by this, all the people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, talking to his disciples. Those who love like the Father are the sons of the Father. So he, here's the main point. Here's our, our primary identity as we think about, even before we get to vision. Who are we? Who are we? What is our identity? Well, we are a family, a family that is not perfect that has a funny uncle, right, a family that has that, you know, th- 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 that, that, that kid that just doesn't seem to sit down. I mean, that's what family is like. It is imperfect. It is not everything you want it to be at, off, uh, at different times, but you know what it is? It's still your family, and so we are committed to that identity here our Garwood Church, and so when we talk about family, the question is, what type of family are we? I mean, there's different types of families. Well, uh, I want to read to you what our our identity statement is, and maybe this will help you. We are a gospel-centered family for the glory of God. That's it. Okay, that's our identity here at Garwood Church. We are a gospel-centered family for the glory of God. We are not just a family who comes in to hang out and just, you know, play cards and just, you know, kind of, you know, just have chit-chat conversation. But our identity is rooted and grounded in the greatest news that has been given to us, the gospel, There is no potential for healthy vision without a healthy identity in the gospel. So what are we? We are a gospel-centered family for God's glory. Now, what do we mean by gospel-centered? And I think this is important. The gospel, the good news of Christ, centers our identity, how we live, and how we love each other. We live by faith through the gospel, okay? We live it, although sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes when life gets hard, we have to preach ourselves and tell ourselves that God is for us as we sang this morning we have to depend on what Christ has done the great grace that has been poured to us now is poured on to others we don't do it for ourselves but we do it for the glory of God that God may be praised that he may be glorified so let me let me flesh this out a little more Okay, that, maybe that's high level. You're like, oh, that, yeah, I get that. I know that. Let, let, me, let me tell you what that means when it comes to a family. What does a gospel-centered family for the glory of God do? Well, we forgive each other, okay? We live in a constant life of forgiveness. In, a, in a embracing for, for, uh, our forgiveness in nature, in the things that we see, in the things that we hear, Why? Why do we do that? Well, it's the gospel-centered, right? Because why? Because we have been what? We have been forgiven, right? So we forgive each other. We we forgive the family of God. Number two, we give without measure, okay? Not just our finances, but we give our time. We give our mind. We give our skill. We give our vision. We give our family to our family here. Why? Because he has given us all things. He has given us the kingdom. Number three, why? Um, We live humbly towards each other. Why? Because he has lived humbly for us, unto us. Okay, and Philippians 2 says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself. All right? So when we think about identity, we're thinking about who are we as a people because we have individual identity, and that identity is one of family, to the Father as a son and to others, to our brothers and sisters in Christ here, our guardwood church. And so we are a gospel-centered family because we put the gospel at the center of our relationship. Although we're different, although, you know, I'm not into, like, I don't know, uh, the things you're into um, you know, maybe you're not into some you know old books to read, and we don't connect in that way. I'm not a golfer, but I like basketball, and we did. You go, man, yeah, but I don't connect. You know what connects us? Is salvation. Is the gospel. And so our relationship is grounded on this gospel-centeredness, which w- what it does, it creates this this vacuum center which brings people in. And when you feel disconnected, you go, man, maybe. Is the, gospel, is, the, is the gospel center, is the gospel uh, the center of this relationship? Now, this is what we want here as our identity. We want an identity where we're living out the gospel together. We give ourselves to the person of Christ, and then we give ourselves to each one of us. You guys with me so far? Amen. So we're, we're talking about identity, first your identity and now corporate identity. But what does that mean for vision? What does that mean for vision? Well, new identity automatically births new vision for the future. And let me give you just a a quick definition here. But the vision is what we see in the future despite the present. Vision is a picture of the future with a passion for it today. And here's what I know. All of you here have vision. That I know okay, uh, all of us in, at some point in our lives said this, I want to better myself and go to school, right, I, I want to better myself and start my own business, be my own v- boss, and what do you do, you, you look three years ahead, and you, and you make that goal, and you go, man, what keeps you going, you have passion for that, you keep going for that, and oftentimes what, what deters us from doing that, you know what it is, is our identity gets weak, we, you know like me you, know, you start getting bad grades <laughs> when you're in school right or or when you're at a job and your boss tells you you're not good or things don't go well and you know what happens to your identity it starts being crushed as your identity starts being crushed you know what you do i'm just gonna quit <laughs> i'm just gonna start a new thing and you begin to jump from one thing to another thing to an- and because your identity is not centered on who christ has called you to be in fact, even now, uh, to our little girls, you know, we, there are only 12, um, the, the, the the oldest is 12. We tell her, honey, you got to, you know, they know you got to go to school, right? I mean, you're already putting seeds of vision in them. The younger we are, the less vision we have, the older we become, the more things become clear ahead of us. This is why we want relationship with some brothers who are way far ahead of us in life, and they could tell us, uh, don't do that. That's a, That's wrong vision. That's not what you want. And so vision okay is a picture of the future for your life and i believe now more than ever we need a biblical vision for the future but it doesn't come without having a grasp of your identity it's just not going to work if we're not gospel centered at the core with the good news of jesus christ and so what we have seen now in the in the past eight months is that there's two there's two camps right there's one camp that simply says you know we're going to this pandemic is happening. There's all this stuff that's going on culturally. We either, we're going we're gonna to step back a little bit, okay? And we're going to just, you know, have online services. And listen, that's great. Praise God for that, that we, we did that, right? That was really awesome. But I believe that crisis produces vision and not passivity. That as a church, we're meant to gather together. We're, we're, we're called to, to envision together, even though we're small in size. That doesn't necessarily mean small vision, Amen. Though we're small in size does not mean small vision. And so with that, I, I want us to turn to Colossians 1.15. Uh, and this is really going to be um, our main passage for our vision and really who we're, being, uh, who we're called to be um, in this season of our church. Go there with me. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on this passage. Uh, Colossae was an early church established by one of Paul's prodigies, Epaphras. Okay, although the church grew quickly, it was attacked by false teachers, false mysticism, empty philosophies, legalism, and tradition. Okay, it was, and and you know this from, most of Paul's letters always address some form of false teaching. But it was primarily Gnostics, or as they were called here, mystics. Mysticism, and they preached that salvation was received from sp- from uh, knowledge of spiritual secrets and principles, and not through Christ. Okay, now for those false teachers, their knowledge was not derived from um, was not derived from Scripture, um, but it was a mystical, almost um, kind of Zen type of middle a- uh, New Age um, revelation from God. God revealed private, intuitive insights to them that carried nothing than divine authority. So I'm going to read to you just a quote from a Gnostic to give you a little bit more of what, what, what is Gnosticism and what Paul was trying to address, because this matters as we look at Colossians 1. And this is Kenneth E. Hagan, uh, and it says, We cannot communicate with God mentally, for he is spirit, but we can reach him with our spirit. It is through our spirit that we come to know God. This is the one reason God puts teachers uh, in the church, to renew our minds. Okay, there was no revelation that was given to you through the scripture. The scripture was a secondary reality to what God kind of told you in your spirit or inside of you. Sounds a lot like what's happening today where we downplay the scriptures. We downplay the truth of the Bible simply for a word that God has told me that's not confirmed and affirmed in the bible and so this gnostic type of belief paul sees this as a problem you here's christ the son of god the messiah of israel the one who god has sent and they're saying this he is not enough he is not the way in which we gain this knowledge it is some it is through some internal knowledge knowledge um, by the way of praying or or meditating uh towards heaven and so I believe one of our greatest threats to biblical vision is thinking that there is more than what has been given to us. We want a vision that's so bold and so big that makes us, makes us feel so bold and big. But rather, our vision must be a vision that makes who big? Christ, that magnifies Christ, a vision that makes him the greater than all things because everything is about him. And Paul is going to make just that point in Colossians 1. The, um, it is all about the person and work of Christ. So now, go with me to Colossians 1:15. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And watch this, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And here's the key word, so that in everything, he might might have the what? The supremacy. Paul is saying this, you guys are trying to get this power of God, this revelation of the church, this truth of the gospel through these means. You're trying to build your, your house on this foundation. And Paul says, Everything from creation to this church to your life is so that Christ may be what? preeminent. That he may have the complete supremacy. Here's the problem with supremacy and with preeminence is that you know who matters in our culture. Do you know who wants to be preeminent in our culture? Me. We live in a me culture. The moment we talk about Christ, he's secondary in our schools. He's secondary in our lives. He's secondary in our questions of life, in our dreams, in our visions. He's second place. Why? Because we are first. And Paul is making an argument here with, with, the, with the Colossians that um, this false religion is placing Christ second But he is all in all. He is the designer, creator of all created things. He is before all things. He is the beginning. He is the head of the church. All things are reconciled through him. And so here is the vision for our church. Our vision, very simple again. Our vision is to make Christ the center of all things. Our vision is to make Christ the center of all things, as Scripture tells us, in order to see God's people mature and be transformed in their hearts, homes, and everyday life. Let Let me say that again. Our vision is to make Christ the center of all things in order to see God's people mature and transformed in their hearts, homes, and everyday life. Every fabric of your life is meant to be Christocentric. In fact, in the original language, this Supremacy word means first of all. Everything extends to the firstness of who he is. And let me, uh, a professor of mine wrote wrote this in one of his uh, commentaries. He wrote that when we talk about Christ being first, here's what we mean it's not some ethereal, he's first in my heart, he's the king of my heart. I mean, that's great, amen. But here's how that plays out in our regular lives first place in our marriages, first place in our professions. First place in our mission and ministry. First place in our matters of intellect. First place in time. First place in love. First place in conversation. First place in caring, play, athletics, what we watch. First place in art. First place in music. First place in worship. uh, You guys with me on this so far, where we're going here? Colossians 1.15 is making the argument, 1.18, that everything is meant to be second. That he is second. First. There is nothing that can stop a vision when Christ is at the center of that vision. We believe that the natural progression of Christ-centeredness uh, produces maturation and transformation. If you want to see a change of life, we want to bring them to the Son of God. We want people to bow down before our great King. And so, what do we mean by maturation and transformation? Right? That was what we said. We want to see people be mature. And transformed. We want to see life changes. We want to see people to go from death into life, right? If you saw me today drinking a, a, a bottle of milk, right, you would think that's that's kind of childish, right? Many times in our Christian faith, we, we stay at this plateau of, of being little babies, okay? And in fact, we need that in a season of our lives so that God shows us that we need maturity. Well, that's exactly what christ it does. When we look at Christ, his beauty, his love, his grace for us, when we begin to submit to his will, things begin to change. Transformation and maturation begins to happen. It happens in three ways, and, we say, and, and it's part of our vision here. It happens in our hearts, in our personal relationship with Christ. We want Guardwood Church to be a church where you grow in your relationship with Christ. That That's very basic. But we want to be intentional in how we do that. So what does that mean? Small groups are going to be very intentional in that. Uh, All the type of different events that we have, we're going to ask, is this Christ-centered? The sermons that we preach, is Christ being, being lifted up in the sermon? Our worship songs, is Christ being sung every single Sunday? Are people leaving, savoring, oh, Christ is not the center of my home. I need to change this. Oh, I do not feel Christ this week. I need to pray. We need him to be, uh, we need our hearts to change. As we taste the fresh grace that God gives us every day, we see our childish ways and stop drinking baby's milk and grow into deeper and more mature relationship. We're not trying to raise up workers, but first lovers of Christ. We don't need more volunteers. What we need is more lovers of Jesus, more people in deep relationship with Christ. And that's what Christ centeredness does making them the supreme person of our lives. Number two, our homes. So it's not just our hearts, not just our individual life that matters, but it is our home. Okay? Which means growth, transformation, right where it matters. I've had conversations with people that sometimes they were shocked. I mean, in my old church at least, that I visited their home and I was watching them the way they raised kids, and I said, Hey, listen, let me, give you, let me give you some things that I've learned in raising kids, you know. And we live in a culture that's so secluded, isn't it? We don't, want to, we don't want people to know what we do because we're so private. But what we mean by making Christ supreme overall is that we seek transformation, is that we're vulnerable, we will bear, that, that we want to change right where it matters with our spouses, with our children, with our loved ones, that the singles in their relationship ch- begin to mature in their relationships around them with those who make up their family. Brothers and sisters, we cannot have an outward mission, a global mission, if our homes are not Christ-centered, okay? And I'm not just saying that because it's like, oh, that's something cool to say. One, it's, it's in the Bible, right? Uh, we need to first reach out to our families. But number two, I've experienced it. One of the most tragic things you can see, and I'm going to be honest with you, is to see a person with a microphone that sounds amazing and that we think they're anointed, And then when you go to their home, they're not living what they're preaching. I know that we don't like that because we go, well, you know, the Lord knows. No, 1 Timothy 3 gives us straight qualifications for eldership. Titus 1, Titus 2 tells us what men and women are supposed to walk like. Oh, it's legalism. uh, Legalism. Oh, it's too much. You know, I don't like that. I want to be spirit led. Oh, man. You don't want to go to the early church and be, you want Paul to come out and be calling out prophetically what's happening in your your life. That's what Paul would do. Here's what we're saying is that, brothers and sisters, maturation brings change at the home level. You begin to see prayer as a norm in your house. You begin to see child discipleship not as a burden, but as a gift. We begin to encourage each other in love as we see change. Making Christ the center of all does not uh, call us into some external ministry, some crazy calling, and that's a big word, like, where is my calling? I'm called. But he calls us first to the pruning of the closest realms of your life. Uh, If you're not being pruned at the home, just be be glad you're being pruned at the home. God wants to use you as a tool of grace, but we're not being pruned at at home. Something is wrong. Lastly, okay, uh, if we make Christ the center of our vision, our everyday life, now, saying all that, you know, uh, we do work eight to four, right? Uh, you do pick, send emails most of the time. You take your kids to work. You watch TV. The they day-to-day they, they reality is that we live in a sinful world, that we live as if Christ, that we need to live as if Christ is the center of all that we do, and that is what it's supposed to be when we make him the center of, um, of our vision. And so this is just your daily life. So, again, it is our hearts, it is our homes, and it is our daily life, the daily rhythms of what we do. Um, We're not perfect, and we don't seek to have perfection, but all we seek to do is to walk as if Christ is in the room, okay? Think about that next time. Next time you're going to do something you know you shouldn't do, imagine Christ is right in that room. That's what living with Christ as all preeminent means. So I'm going to finish here. To finish, I want to say this, that we must sustain this vision. Our prayer is that this may not be a vision on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a screen, but this is a vision that we're going to work out together, that we're going to grow in hearts together. We're going to grow in our homes and our everyday life together. And I want to give you four ways in which I believe we can sustain this vision. Okay, one, uh, you must depend and live on grace. Okay? You must depend on and live on grace. You will live here today, make phone calls, make meals, meet people. Um, you must do it, all this, even wanting to grow in your heart in your home through reliance upon the grace of God. Reliance upon blot bought grace that has been poured upon you, a grace that you cannot do on your own, but a grace that Christ gives you through his spirit. Okay? Paul said it this way, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me, okay? He can save this because he rests his life in Christ. You know, walking, having a relationship with Christ when it's dry, it's not easy, okay? Uh, having a home that, that, that manifests the glory of God, it's not easy. We know that, but it's not up to you. It's to the grace of God that he gives us as we surrender to him and make him uh, supreme in our lives we must give god all of ourselves as he gives us his grace so depend upon and live on the grace of god number two find your community okay this is this is a big one to sustain our vision we must intentionally dig 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 deep roots with one another okay look at the person next to you okay tell them i want to know you i want to get to know you come on i want to get to know you Listen, to sustain our vision, we must intentionally dig deep roots. So if you say, nah, it's cool, man, I just want to do my own thing, yeah, it's going to be tough. This vision is just not going to stick in your life, okay? Uh, You know, uh, Chris and I went to the Middle East, we're, you know, we have Hispanic culture in us. Uh, I know Italian, Greek friends, too, that, that in their cultures, you know, you don't ask of went to come in. I don't know when we were in the Middle East. We would have people visiting our house like at 11 p.m. Like, hey, you know, here's food, and you go. Oh, you're invading. You know, my American mind. Ah, oh, it's, it's bedtime. I'm watching my movie. You're bothering me, right? Because our culture is kind of is kind of different. It's not inviting. It, it, it's it's isolated, right? We get caught up with busyness. But I tell you that this vision will not flourish unless we find true community. And so let me, let me give you three practicals of what I mean by that. You need three people here in your community. You need uh, uh, people that challenge you, okay? Here's, you need people that challenge you. Think, okay, think about that. Think about one person that challenges you in your spiritual walk. Think about that. Okay, think about that, one. Okay, two, think about a person that you trust, Okay. Okay, is this the same person? No, you got to think about another person. (laughs) All right, you're like, oh, okay. Okay, think about a person in this church that you trust. Now, number three, think about a person that needs you. Okay, think about that. One, think about a person that challenges you, get together with that person. Think about a person that you trust, go run to that person. And think about a person that needs you, welcome that person in. Okay? You got you guys get that right so when you're talking about sustaining you got to find your community you got to find here this this to be your home for this to be sustained number three expect to labor for vision new vision always brings to the surface the unexpected okay unexpected problems unexpected people unexpected solutions and so it requires us to labor for the kingdom of God by work I mean joyfully walking alongside me joyfully walking shouldering this thing together when we see people that are struggling we go together and we say how do we help this person okay the tabernacle was not built by one man you guys know that right it was built by a a multiplicity of people and gifts we cannot do it by ourselves we need you we need you to shoulder it in prayer and serving in generosity and so expect to labor for vision so if you're kind of Kind of not work, you know, you're like, I, I don't know about that. That's too much for me. Again, we need you. Okay, well, and I'm going to knock on your door. Be like, help me out, all right, because we, we, we need to work for this vision, a work that comes through the grace of God. And, and lastly, and I know I've gone long, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish here. Prepare uh, your heart soil. Prepare your heart soil. How do you feel about this vision? Do you feel that this is God's vision for you and your family? Prepare your family. You don't have to answer that now take these five weeks and pray but ask God to really like till your heart to to begin to um, dig deep in you only God can make our hearts tender to this vision for this church this is not for everybody and we live in a culture that we want to open the net as wide as possible so that we capture as many people as possible Jesus did it differently he went to people and he called them out and he brought them forth And it was only after they had vision that they grew the movement of God. Ask God to make this clear to you. Okay? Ask God. Maybe there's residue from old experiences, old memories that you have that you go, oh, church, I'm just so tired of church. I'm so tired of people giving vision statements. I'm so tired of the pastor getting there and saying, oh, maybe, maybe you need to, like, just rip those things off. Maybe you have a view of church that makes this unhealthy. You got to move on from the past my brother. John Maxwell said the greatest enemy to vision, you know what he said? The past. You catch that? The greatest the greatest uh, enemy to great vision is looking at the past. And I think that's true for us. How great things were in the past, how you wish things were in the future. Maybe how, uh, you know, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I'm like, oh, man, I want, I want, like, the loudest sound. I want, like, you know, the greatest this. The, I mean, that's me. That's my church experience. And then I go, is it about me, though? <laughs> is it really about me? It's not about me. You have, to, you have to till your heart. That's what I'm working on. This is not easy. If you still have, then, then there's, time, there's, there's time to work together into this because without you, this vision will not go forward. Without your buy-in and your heart for this saying, yes, I want to be this type of family, what does that mean? We'll talk about that later, right? Or, you know, here's the vision that we have. Okay, I want to make Christ this, you know, this, give him the supremacy in our heart and our home. Okay, how do we do that? We're going to move into that as we move into the vision series and, and one-on-ones together. But really, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you. Prepare the soul of your heart by coming to me. Tell me your concerns. Praying together wrestling to these passages in Colossians 1:15. but I want to encourage you that this is not my vision. The, I didn't say my vision. I didn't say our vision. I said the Bible's vision for his people is to be a people that is gospel-centered and Christ-centered. Amen? That's who we want to be, and that will not be attractive, but that's okay because we're here to magnify Christ Enact and to magnify people. So let me read to you one more time our identity. We are a gospel centered family for the glory of God. And what is our vision? Our vision is to make Christ the center of all things in order to see God's people mature and be transformed in their hearts, homes, and everyday life. Would you pray with me?